Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you to download the app, the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app, so that you can have access to all of our station's content. Remember, we are an EWTN affiliate, so you get all the EWTN programming plus our original programming uh, on the station. And if you like what Joe and I do, please follow us on YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe, The Frontline with Joe and Joe. And we're building up our Twitter account. So we ask you to please, uh, now that it's an open platform, at least we think it is, um, at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Follow us there. And today we're very pleased and honored to be joined. Speaking of EWTN, we're uh, very pleased and honored to be joined by Michael O'Neill. And we're going to be discussing Michael's EWTN travel series explore with the miracle hunter i love talking about miracles i love this uh, joe resinello I'm, I'm already loving this conversation okay now uh most of you out there in our audience know who michael is but having said that just in case quick bio michael o'neill is an award-winning author and like i said ewtn radio and television host creator of the popular miracle tracking website and cited worldwide worldwide in news articles and books including renowned mariologist Father Rene Laurentin's comprehensive work, The Dictionary of the Apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Michael is a graduate of Stanford University and a member of the Mariological Society of America and the Theological Commission of the International Marian Association. He is the host of many other EWTM programs, including They Might Be Saints. Michael O'Neill, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Hey, great to be back with you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Happy Year. New to Year. You. Michael, we always start with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, but for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, bidding your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, as Joe said, Michael's a friend of the show. Uh, what you may not know about Michael is he's from Chicago. And Michael, because we love you, I wore my Blackhawks pullover. Old school. You can't wear this anywhere anymore. I'm not going to go into it, but you, as you know, I mean, I wore it because you got to love Chicago. It's a great town. Um, every time I go there, I go to Twin Anchors Bar on Sedwick. I get myself some ribs and a Sierra Nevada. Love it. So you are always welcome on this show. There is no doubt. Also, oh, also, uh, you have the best job on EWTN, and I'll tell you why. You get to travel to all these very cool places um, and talk about our faith and talk about saints. Um, how did this show come about? I mean, was it, you know, you basically touched on, you know, it's kind of similar to what you were doing. Now you're kind of going on site. They're, they're sending you all over the place. Um how did it come about? Was it your idea, EWTN? 
you know, walk us yeah, through so, it. So I, I was pretty excited to do this show because, of course, as you point out, it allows me to travel the world. Uh, with you. <laughs> That's yeah, a touchdown. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty great just based on that. But, you know, we have all these old stories of miracles that have happened throughout the centuries. And, you know, we can read about them in dusty books or look at uh, old prayer cards or we can just use our imagination. But, you know, for a lot of people, they're not getting the chance to travel, whether it's with COVID or the war or whatever other reason or their own health or their own uh, finances or whatever it is, they're not traveling as much as they used to. And uh, this is a great opportunity to sort of bring the world to uh, the faithful. And we, I was sort of mentioning these, you know, dusty books and old prayer cards, but through recreations, I try to bring these miracle stories to life. You know, some of these things that only these, uh, you know, privileged people were able to see in the case of a Marian apparition or other miracle, but I try to bring it to life with recreation. So it's a, a great combination of beautiful uh, 4K photography, drone footage, and uh, in this these incredible recreations, which I put up against anything that's coming out in Hollywood. I think this stuff is really nice uh, that my team produces. So um, I'm really excited to present these half hour episodes and I just load them up chock full with as much information as uh, anybody can tolerate in, in half an hour. So <laughs> I love it. Michael O'Neill is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, Michael, we're, we're talking about miracles. Let's let's uh, break it down a little bit. All right. Uh, you know, we try to be as as educational as we can for our audience. And Joe and I learn a lot, too, uh, from guests like yourself. Talk about miracles. Talk about how does the church officially proclaim an, an event? OK, to be a miracle. There obviously, you know, you, you get critics, you know, when he was alive, Christopher Hitchens was notorious for it. Uh, other of the new atheists, miracles are something that really open our eyes. Okay. Because you don't expect them. break that down for, for our audience. Yeah, and I think it's first uh, worth pointing out out of the gate that uh, we talk about the miracles of the, the gospels, the words and works of Jesus Christ. And those are really where the, that's the center of our faith. You know, that's that's all that we're really required to believe in, those things that come to us in the Gospels as taught to us by our church. But, you know, there's all these occasions of uh, miraculous phenomena that I write about in my book, Science and the Miraculous. We're talking about Marian apparitions and Eucharistic miracles and weeping statues and the stigmata of saints and uh, healing miracles like at Lourdes. All those things, uh, they really boost our faith, but we don't really have to believe in them. We're not obliged uh, to believe in them in our in our Catholic faith. But they sure do help me and, and pretty much everybody I talk to. Uh, these uh, stories of miracles can be inspiring. So, you know, we talk about these things that are are rare, unexplained. We talk about the Cubs winning the World Series, maybe that's a miracle, or five traffic lights in a row that are green when we're running late. That's a little bit of a miracle, or the lost cell phone. That's a lowercase than miracle for a lot of people. But there are these things that happen throughout church history. And again, we're not obliged to believe in them, but the rigorous investigation of the Catholic Church is uh, so intense that we can say we can put good faith in the fact that the church is actually trying to rule out miracles and trying to say that there, you know, there's some natural explanation. But on those very rare occasions, we're talking about Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, and a handful of others, uh, we can really sink our teeth into them and really engage with them and believe in them because we know that the church really wants them to go away. These uh, things that distract people, uh, that they'd rather them just disappear. So uh, we can feel confident with the church's rigorous investigation. Well, I'm glad you said that, Michael. And I'm glad you said that because it seems like, you know, the attack on the church a lot of the times is, well, you know, like something odd happens and the church just rubber stamps it. No, no, no. The first group or the first institution to say, uh, we're going to have to look at this because we're going to we're going to start with we don't believe it is the church. 
until the church does that rigorous, yes, key word there, rigorous investigation of that event, and then concludes, well, wait a minute, there's something going on here, all right? And then proclaims as to whether or not it's a meal. And it's like you said, we're not bound to believe it, but if it's but if it's gone through a rigorous testing, and with our reason, we could say that thing should not have happened, okay? Whatever that thing might be, all right? Then we could say, well, you know what? That's God giving us a little... Is giving you know give us a give us a little uh, reinforcement. That's that's a little of, of his handiwork. But thanks for saying that because I we appreciate that. I think the church gets beaten up a little bit too much when it comes to miracles. Um, go ahead, Mike. You were going to say something. And it's interesting because you know when somebody claims a miracle, just uh, one person in their own home or uh, in their prayers, they they have some sort of a a vision or an insight. The church will never investigate that. They might you know if you went to your local bishop and said, "Hey, I had a vision," they'll say congratulations i hope it helps your faith but they're not going to send out the investigative team the miracle hunters aren't going to come rushing in to investigate it it's only when you have that crowd of seventy thousand people like at the covid area in fatima that the people came out or the people coming out in droves at lourdes uh, for healings it's only these cases where you see the big support of the faithful the interest of the faithful and the church has to do something they have to say something these very uh, small cases, the church doesn't do anything with at all. So it's really the interest of the faithful that drives these investigations. Yeah, and that's an, that's important to, to to note that, especially when it comes to something like Fatima. You know, seventy thousand people. I think we might have to take a look at this. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Joe Resinello. Well, obviously, like we all know about the big ones, you know, Fatima, Guadalupe, Lourdes, but you're going into some places, to be honest with you. That's why we recommend all of our listeners to go out and watch this, you know, things you might not know about. I, I learned just researching for this interview, like I never heard of a few of these places. It just shows you the vast amount of miracles that the church notes and gives its its name and recognition to but you know this is what i kind of want to get at you know as catholics you know there's miracles do we listen to them you know like especially when they come to our lady you know like fatima i'm a big rosary guy she says things at fatima like pray your rosary you know it's not like i'm saying it who am i you know what I mean? But like, it's like the Blessed Mother. She's like dropping like some some gems on us or like Our Lady of Akita in Japan. She warns us the statue of Our Lady's crying. You know, like if I saw that, uh, forget it. I have a Haitian wife, Michael. If that happened in my house, my wife would go nuts. <laughs> I'll be completely triple with, with you. I mean, like. It, you know, that's just the way, like, do we pay attention? God is like, sometimes, like Joe said, he's throwing us a hint, like through some of these things, you know, and it, and they're really blatant. Are we listening? Yeah, it's, uh, it's so interesting. I, I don't think people are listening. And that's kind of one of the points of the, of the series is to open people's eyes up to that miracles happen all around the world in these places, big and small. And uh, Mary's appearing and giving messages to us. And uh, for those people who are have ears to hear, they should uh, they should really hear what's being said in the cases where the church investigates it. And you mentioned this idea that on this series we we feature all these places that are obscure, and that's the number one uh, response that I get from people who watch the series. They said. I never knew that Mary appeared in Belgium two years in a row, for example. I had never heard of that. Or in uh, Rwanda, I had never heard of that. Or these various places all over the world, Europe and otherwise. Uh, people say, these, you know, these stories that you're presenting are new to my ears. 
and I'm a faithful Catholic person. So it's been really uh, exciting to pre present these stories that are kind of unknown uh, and uh, that people can learn about. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, Michael O'Neill is here with us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing his EWTN travel series, Explore with the Miracle Hunter. Joe Racinello. How did you choose the locations? I mean, there's uh, a lot of, you know, places to go. Um, I can remember when I used to go to India in southern India, there's a shrine. Uh, I, I, it starts with a V. You probably Belong, know. Yeah. Yeah. There you Belonging. go. Mm -hmm. I never knew that. You know what I mean? Like, but it's, it's, it's well attended. Um, how did you choose them? Did you choose them? Did you work with the staff at EWTN? How'd you come up with the locations? So thankfully EWTN, they trust my judgment on a lot of these. So these places that I'm presenting are the top miracles in the history of Catholicism. So much so that if you were to say the name of a certain city, I could say, that's the big miracle of that city. So uh, these are all places uh, like uh, Tre Fontana in Italy is the place of Bruno Cornacchiola, which will be airing on uh, January 7th. Uh, this place of the conversion of an atheist, uh, anti-Catholic guy who was on his way to assassinate the Pope. He has a vision of Mary and he converts. And, but, you know, so if you say the name Tre Fontana to me, I know that's exactly what you're going for. But uh, these are all places, the top places of miracles in the entire world. And uh, EWTN has kind of relied on my, uh, you know, 20 years of research into miracles to identify these top places. So, and I, and I try to be smart about it. So if I'm going to uh, take a trip to France, I'm going to get all the miracle spots in France that are nearby and film them all at once and bring that footage back to the United States and edit it all together. So I try to be efficient and smart about it, but uh, these are the top places in the world. I tell you, I, I, I'm kind of a little bit jealous. I, 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 can, can, can I come with you? <laughs> I just, I just yeah. want to come with so you. There, so there's a, wait, there's a waiting list for that uh, production assistant job. You know, I think that everybody I talk to, they say, can I sign up? Can I travel with you guys? But yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah, my, my wife might kill me if I was to do that. You know, hey, how's the pay for the production assistant job? Not much, but you get to travel the world. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, let's, uh, let's, um, let's, uh, Everybody loves stories uh, about miracles, so let's uh, let's indulge, uh, you know, a little bit. So let's talk about a couple of them. So there's a Marian apparition. I know I'm going to butcher this name, maybe not. Bano, Belgium. Uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? You're pretty close. It's Banu. Banu. So, okay. Banu in um, Belgium is this is the second of two uh, Marian apparitions happening in 1932 in Borang, and then Banu in 1933. And this is a case where. Uh, this young 11-year-old uh, girl, Mary at Baco, she receives visions of the Virgin Mary. And, you know, I love these cases where we see somebody who's not really all that pious to begin with. So Mariette, she was, she dropped out of her first communion class even because she, her, her parents weren't really supporting her uh, study of the faith and learning about the faith. But she had apparitions of Mary in her backyard. And then the very next day, she and her father go to communion uh, class, you know, to learn about uh, the first communion. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing to see the turnaround that these people have had. And these are cases where the whole town turns out. There are messages given. Uh, Mary is known as the Virgin of the Poor. And you can go there to this site, as I did for this show, and you can really see sort of the uh, the groundswell of support. Uh, the church investigates and the local people uh, visit that shrine. So it's it's amazing to see. And it's one of the top 10 places in, in modern Catholic history of uh, Marian apparition in Bennu in Belgium. Uh, Michael, do me a favor. Refresh my memory. Um, which is the apparition where Mary says, I am the Immaculate Conception? Is that's that Lourdes. That's, that's Lourdes. Lourdes. Yep. 
So, and one of the one of the reasons why the church kind of you know uh, has has affirmed that miracle is because I believe it was Saint Bernadette. Am I correct? Um, correct. At, at Lord, she said uh, the lady said, "I am the immaculate conception." My reason for bringing it up is that Mary talks to those sometimes who. You you don't have let's say for argument say they didn't go to Stanford they didn't go to Scranton they didn't she go was to illiterate right she was illiterate mm-hmm. and they said how on earth does this girl know the two words put together immaculate conception I mean that's one of the criteria correct so talk about that a little bit yeah it's pretty interesting in the case of Lourdes because you have Bernadette who uh, she's asking who the lady the lady what her name is and she says I am the immaculate conception and she says that in Uxatan, the, the dialect of the girl, of Bernadette. So, and she's walking to, to the priest to tell him this news, and she has to repeat that phrase over and over in her head so she doesn't forget, because what does that mean anyway, the Immaculate Conception? That doesn't sound like something that she would know. And as you say, she's illiterate, she doesn't know her faith well, uh, but she's a very pious girl, but that was the sign that the church looked at and said that this is truly an authentic case. But you know, in the case of Lourdes and also at uh, Barang and Bano, we see uh, uh, doctors and investigators putting the hands of the visionary in fire, for example, in a flame to see if they react right, while they're having these visions, and they're still concentrated on Mary. So that's pretty remarkable. And so you, you have scientific investigation, you have the investigation of the church to make sure that there's nothing wrong with the faith and morals being proposed in these things. Bernadette says, Mary says, I am the Immaculate Conception. There have been cases where Mary has said uh, in an alleged apparition, I'm the fourth member of the Blessed Trinity. Even the math on that doesn't work out, right? So the church rules it out immediately. So they look at the words and then they also look at sort of the the medical situation. If uh, this person is crazy or if they're making it up, they, they rule out every possible thing when they make these judgments. And okay, I, I mean, like I said, we learn as much here, Michael, as our audience does. So this is very enlightening for us. Joe Rasinello. We're going to go through a few other uh, miracles that you talk about on the show, but I want to talk about trends. Like I know when you go when you go to business school, they make you do case studies, and obviously you're going to study basically how something took place. What was the you know the uh, the common themes? One of the common themes with Mary is she many times goes to children. They're very simple. Many times they're poor, um, and she went to them. You know, you would say to yourself, why didn't she go to some fancy bishop or a cardinal or someone that's super smart, um, super pious? I, I think it should make us, again, looking at the patterns, looking at history. History teaches us something. Um, Christ says that we have to be childlike um, in order to enter heaven. And I think because God knows the heart, and I'm, I'm assuming Mary does as well, that these people had pure hearts. And I think that's a takeaway for me, um, you know, that when, you know, she's not going to, you know, the fancy uh, banker guy, <laughs> you know, he could be a good guy, but that's not who she went to. She didn't go to the mayor of Fatima. She went to the three poor children who were tending the sheep. Comment on that, because I think that's a takeaway. Um, you know, Our Lady is sent to the world, I believe. You know, when things are bad and when we really have to pay attention, um, she's God's greatest disciple because she's pure. Um, and that's a message for me that we have to be like children. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. And um, for better or worse, I, you know, 
I've got an engineering degree from Stanford, so I try to apply this, uh, you know, data analysis to to Marian apparitions, which is a strange combination. I recognize, but um, you know, we talk about Marian apparitions, and then you you look at the most highly approved cases in history. The average age of a Marian visionary is approximately 16. You know, say Juan Diego, who's 57 at the time of his apparition, but. By and large, they're younger children who receive these visions in many of the earlier apparitions. In the 20th century and beyond, it's older people who receive visions uh, more typically. And you talk about it's usually uh, students, religious, or shepherds. Those are the very the very common uh, kinds of simple people, you might say, who receive visions. But you do have other cases like Alphonse Radisbonne. And we did this episode of Explore with the Miracle Hunter where we went to Rome and we talked about two apparitions. One, Our Lady of the Snows, which happened according to pious tradition in 352 AD, where Mary appears to a Pope actually, and she gives him instructions that would lead to the building of St. Mary Major. And then we also talked about uh, Alphonse Radisbonne. In the 1800s, he received, was a Jewish banker and businessman, and he was an atheist, and he did not uh, believe in anything, but he had a vision of Mary as well as related, it's connected with the miraculous metal, and he had a big conversion. So there have been smaller cases, but by and large, you are correct that it is these young people who have these visions of Mary and purity of heart seems to be an underlying theme connecting all of them. So you're right on the money with that. But it turns out that there's a great variety of Marian apparitions. She appears to popes and to children. She appears one time and thousands of times. So it turns out the mother of God can do whatever she wants and she can appear in any way that she wants. But it's absolutely amazing. The variety and this these programs of explore with the miracle hunter i try to explore explore some of that uh variety that you will see in in visions of mary yep and if you're just joining us michael o'neill is joining us here at the front line with joe and joe the series he hosts is explore with the miracle hunter as michael just said and that is on mike correct me if i'm on that saturday nights eastern time at six o'clock on ewtn correct that's correct. And we're just we have two new episodes uh, that are airing uh, at the beginning of January. And then uh, we will be the previous episodes starting with Lourdes after that. And we've we've been so fortunate to do about I think we've done uh, 18 episodes so far, but we've also filmed in Ireland and England. So in spring, we're going to be coming out with seven new episodes then. And then we'll be filming in Poland this uh, this April. So we'll have some new episodes there as well. So it's been a real blessing to get uh, the support of EWTN and to be working with such a great team to be cranking out these episodes. I was, I was going to ask, so you do have new episodes that are, that are uh, either have been already uh, filmed or, or, or more in the future also? Yep. So we have, uh, I think it's six new episodes coming out of France, which will air. And then we'll have uh, England and Ireland after that. And then we'll have Poland after that. So uh, for people who are fans of the show, they can be excited to know that we've got plenty of new episodes uh, in the future. So it's funny. Um, let's, let's, uh, this one I find interesting. Now, I was going to say, because I, I mispronounced Benu. Because you and you've corrected me. So Joe's wife and my wife are sisters. Okay. And whenever oh, I try to say anything, that is remotely French, okay? Um, my wife just lets me have it. She says, yeah, okay, it's not pronounced that way. Having said that, one thing I do know how to pronounce is Italian names, okay? Uh -huh. um, so in Genezzano, okay, yeah. I think I said that correctly, Italy yeah. in 1467. So this one's interesting to me. Uh, uh, and I would like for you, Mike, before we go to a break in a few minutes, uh, describe this for our audience. My understanding is a beautiful fresco of the Virgin Mary and the Christ child was revealed descending from the clouds. I'm not, I'm having a hard time imagining that. Paint the picture of that for our audience, Michael O'Neill. 
Yeah, this, this is kind of one of, uh, a really remarkable episode. And of course, I've been there in person to see this fresco and people can visit it in Genizzano in Italy. And the story goes that in 1467, there was this fresco that was lifted out of a church in Albania. And uh, there was sort of the uh, attack of the Muslims overrunning that land. And there was this, uh, this well-loved uh, icon of the Virgin Mary that was lifted uh, by the story by is brought by angels uh, all the way to Italy and rested there in Italy and it rests gently on the wall there and they built up a beautiful shrine around it to this day but um, it's it's absolutely amazing to see the devotion that people have to this to this vision and this was on uh, the feast day of Saint Mark uh, that's uh, March 25th in 1467 where this fresco descended from the clouds and it was witnessed by an entire town and there have been so many miracles and such devotion that surrounds it so some of these things come to us sort of in pious uh, pious legend or or uh pious belief but uh i think that it's truly one of these remarkable cases of a miraculous image that you can still see today and it's on this eggshell thin plaster and it's uh, it's absolutely amazing then and popes have visited saints have visited and people like myself, who's neither a pope nor a saint, uh, have been able not to yet, Michael. Not yet, Michael. Not yet. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this, because um, you, you've you've alluded to it obviously in the course of the conversation. We we the church investigates the miracle itself, but part of that investigation, I would imagine, is the effect of of that miracle. Talk about that before the break. We have a couple of minutes. Talk about that, like. There was an effect on, especially we're talking about Marian apparitions, okay? Uh, so let's keep it there. Uh, you could talk about uh, uh, Guadalupe, all right? And and the effect that that, talk about the effect being part of the evidence we look at, that these things would not, this effect would not have happened. Am I, am I, go ahead, Mike. So there's this uh, Vatican document from 1978. It's called The Norms of the Congregation for Proceeding and Judging Alleged Private Revelations and Apparitions. They, they give these things really catchy names, don't they? So yeah, this I was going to say, that's about need an right acronym there. for that bad boy. <laughs> yeah, you should see it in Latin. But anyway, um, so the church in this document, they lay out all the, this is the rule book that's still in, in use by the church today. And it was released to the bishops subsecretary secretly to all the bishops in the world in Latin. Now you can go to miraclehunter.com if you want to read it but if you look at that document it says that uh the faith and morals much must add up the visionary must be a morally upstanding person and it says that the local bishop is the very first to investigate these things the the pope may not be involved in any kind of a way uh but when we talk about these these cases it, it goes through this very strict procedure and they want to make sure that everything lines up exactly right before they're going to go through an approval so um one of the elements in that document is spiritual fruits. So those are the good things that come from a miracle. So we're talking about people returning to the faith and the sacraments, people's faith being uplifted uh, by such an occurrence. So if the Catholic Church sees positive fruits that result from an, a miracle that's being investigated, that definitely gets a check mark in the positive category and leads towards an approval when they see that uh, this has had a good effect on the local community and the world. Yeah, the, the one the one Joe and I talk about on our show all the time, and it's more widely known. I mean, when you look at the effect of Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, and and when you and again, you know, you get to know a little bit of the history. I mean, you know, the Spanish were there for for quite some time. You know, the Church was there already for a number of years, and not having all all that much success converting the the indigenous people of, of Mexico, and here Our Lady comes, appears to Juan Diego, and within ten years. The entire country converts. 
Now, I don't care if you're a star. I don't care if you're Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or any of them. You got to look at that and say something's going on there, boys. Something's going on there. I mean, these people, you know, had a long tradition of their paganism. Okay, and in ten years, the whole country converts. It's not just an accident, Michael. We have to take a break. All right, um, and this is a great conversation. It's a lot of fun. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're being joined by Michael, o, the Miracle Hunter, um, and that airs Saturday nights at six o'clock Eastern time on EWTN. So, uh, and you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, thirteen fifty on your AM dial. 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. So we have more on miracles coming up after the break, so stick around. Don't go anywhere. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So... Let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We're way in the breach with Michael O'Neill, and we're discussing his EWTN travel series, Explore with the Miracle Hunter. Remember, everyone out there, that that airs Saturday nights at 6 o'clock Eastern time on EWTN. Uh, there's two more shows coming out, and there's going to be another six new shows uh, coming out in the springtime. So you definitely, definitely, definitely want to be watching those. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Michael, one of the many things that you do incredibly well on this show and, and in this series is you lay out the investigative process. Um, how do you do you do your research? Because I think that's important. I think that will appeal to even non-Catholics, even you know people who say, ah, that can't happen. Because I, you really, <clears throat> excuse me, lay it out. Um, do you do your research? Do you have people do it for you? Do you have a team? Walk us through that. Yeah, so... The majority of the programs are, are written by me, and uh, I do have some some uh, some writers who I work with. Uh, but one of the aspects that I always do on every show is I do make sure every show features the investigative process uh, that goes that goes uh, goes on, and that so that's something that I personally add to every episode because I think it's so important. You have skeptics, you have even people who are believers who want to know. What has been done? What is the church's process? So for each and every episode, I walk people through painstakingly, perhaps some people who have seen it before said, yeah, yeah, we know this already. But I want to make sure everybody out there knows uh, the investigative process, the way that the church recognizes a Marian apparition or other miracles. So, you know, we, we have this idea that the Pope is the one who does the entire investigation. He doesn't do anything at all when it comes to Marian apparitions, for example. It's the local bishop whose responsibility it is to investigate and to approve. And when the local bishop approves it, it's good for the entire world. And then the Vatican, if they want to, and they don't always want to, they can show some signs of recognition. So the Pope can send a golden rose. The Pope can release a document through the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith or the Pope can visit, or they can canonize a visionary, or they can build a basilica on the site, or they can set up a feast day. There's all these ways that the church kind of shows its support of, the, of this. And so when the church does any of those things, then it's good for all time. But until that sort of recognition happens, a next local bishop could come in and say, 
I've got new information or I'm going to reinvestigate and he can flip it around. There have been cases like in Lipa in the Philippines in 1948 that was recently flipped backwards from positive to negative. You also have 1945 in Amsterdam, these, uh, these apparitions uh, that, were, uh, that were claimed there. Those had the approval of the bishop well into the 2000s, and the next bishop flipped it back over with the request of the Vatican. So it requires the Vatican to show some sign of recognition. And so I always try to show the signs where, in the case of Banu and Barang in Belgium, the Pope actually traveled John Paul II to those locations and met with the visionaries. That never happens where the Pope will be seen with an alleged Marian apparition visionary unless it's legit. So uh, the church is very careful about the optics of these things. Absolutely. So, Michael O'Neill, you traveled all over the place, okay? So, just on a personal level, which place slash miracle, either one, okay, really, really moved you that was the most striking to you um, personally? Well, I'd be interested in knowing that. Yeah, I, I can't I can't get away from Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah, she's always she's my favorite. Uh, she always will be. You know, in, in my family, we have a small miracle story where my mother, my grandmother came back to the Catholic faith uh, through Our Lady of Guadalupe. So she always has a very uh, important place in my heart. But just to go there and to see the devotion of the people in Mexico is amazing. Lourdes is incredible. Fatima is incredible with all that's grown up around those places. But in Mexico, to see 20 million people a year come there uh, to honor Our Lady of Guadalupe, it's, it's incredibly beautiful. And then you have the, the tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which should have disintegrated in 30 years, as would have any other uh, fabric of that era has in 30 years. It's the only object like its kind that is still in existence. It's amazing. And I produced this program called Guadalupe Mysteries for EWTN. I encourage anybody to check that one out who want to know about the miracles of the tilma. It's absolutely mind-blowing, the things that they've discovered scientifically over the years. But Our Lady of Guadalupe will always be my favorite. And just to see the devotion of the faithful there. And I've been so so blessed to be able to go there a few times uh, and to see that. So it's been uh, it's been so amazing, uh, that devotion in my life. I, I'll tell you. A couple things about Our Lady of Guadalupe. And yes, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Michael O'Neill. And to encourage our audience members, go find out more about Our Lady of Guadalupe. Your mind will be blown about the details. Not de It's not just an image on a piece of cloth. When you, when you understand what's going on there, when you understand... And again, this is where I get upset. I'm known to be a little bit of an angry guy, Michael, because I don't like unfairness. I don't like being dismissed, okay? And, and, and what I mean by that is... When, let's say, for argument's sake, when he was alive, I, yes, I do pick on him a little bit, Christopher Hitchens or any of the other of the new atheists, okay? They're always talking about the science, the science, the science. Well, go do your science, which has been done, by the way, that's what you're alluding to, on the tilma at Our Lady of Guadalupe, at that shrine, okay? Send your team of scientists in there to go and investigate. You know, pick any scientist you want, okay? And the only conclusion you can come up with, and that's why I encourage everybody to go out there and explore it more, Okay, is that something's going on here? It's not just ink on a piece of cloth. All right, it's it's actually much, 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 too much that we could get into here at the front line with Joe and Joe. It is an amazing, amazing story. I'm glad you brought that up, Michael O'Neill, because when I read about miracles and things, obviously I haven't been to these places. I would love eventually to get to Guadalupe. I'm in Arizona now, so it might be a little bit easier for me to 
jump that border and and go down to uh, to the shrine. Um, but I, I am blown away when you when you understand all the facts. I will say just as a kind of like a a funny aside, Joe Rossellello loves telling the story at the front line with Joe and Joe when Hillary Clinton oh. went went down. <laughs> To, to, to the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and she asked the bishop, and she said, who's the artist? And he said, uh, God. I kind of, yeah, that's right. I'm picking on Hillary a little bit. Uh, so I, I kind of love that story. Michael O'Neill is joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Arsenello. We're discussing his series. We encourage everybody to go uh, watch EWTN on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock Eastern time. Explore with the Miracle Hunter. Joe Arsenello. Michael, you probably know this, <clears throat> but I've been watching EW10 for years, that you are now in the footsteps of greatness. You are following in the tradition of Bob and Penny Lord. You know that. I used to watch those two. I love that show. I mean, it just goes to show you how, like, EWTN, I mean, it, it that was like a low production. This mm -hmm. is such a high production series, how the network has, like, improved and grown. I mean, it was almost like it was filled from someone's camera. You know, like their phone, they're just traveling around. I love I love Penny's voice. I, her, oh, her, her voice was the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, it's amazing how it's grown and and like the sophistication and and like everything that's gone into this. This is like, you know, a, a major production and it's wonderful. And I think so many people are going to learn from it. With that said, I mean, there are shrines. Joe was talking about Our Lady Guadalupe right here in the United States. Uh, one of which I want to go to with my family is uh, the Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Cardinal Burke uh, basically made that, and I think that's going to be one of his largest and, and greatest legacies, if you ask me, as time moves on. Uh, have you gone to some of those in the U.S.? Because to be truthful with you, back in the day, uh, families would go there on vacations. Um, my wife and I, before COVID, we used to go up to the shrine of St. Joseph in Montreal. It's not too far from our house. Joe and his wife came with us one year. Um you get something from that. You really do. I mean, there's graces. Talk about that. Like what right in our in our country, there are great shrines to visit. Yeah, my, my absolute favorite shrine in the United States is that shrine of our Lady of Guadalupe in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I've been there so many times and I used to uh, volunteer at that shrine and uh, it's a short drive from Chicago and uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Cardinal Burke did an amazing, amazing job there and I was there on the day of the dedication. I was the first one in the church that day. It was it's a, it's it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. And but there are so many beautiful shrines all around the United States that if people don't want to hop on a plane, they can go to their their local area. Even another place in Wisconsin is Our Lady of Good Help in Champion. Uh, that's the first and first and only Marian apparition approved in the United States. So that's another one. You can go to both of those shrines on the same trip. But there are places all over the United States to visit, and you can visit by car. And for those people who want to travel the world with me, actually, I actually have a pilgrimage uh, that I that I lead every year to an international place of pilgrimage. And in, I'll be going to a, in April to Poland and Lithuania. And Poland is, believe it or not, the most popular place of pilgrimage in the entire world right now, even more than Italy, if you can believe that right now. So uh, so I, I, I usually take about 40 or 50 people and we fly out there and I bring my EWTN film crew with me and we film as we go. Uh, so people can go to pilgrimages.com slash miracle hunter to join me on a trip. But uh, for people who don't leave the country, you are right that in your local state, in your local area, there's likely a beautiful shrine and there are so many places to go and uh, people's faith can be uplifted right here in the United States. 
Well, I, I want to talk about that a little bit, Michael O'Neill, about, about uplifting, uh, uplifting our faith. Okay, but where I was going to go is this: these these miracles. Okay, assuming that they're authentic, assuming that they're true, I believe they are. Okay, when you we were talking about Guadalupe or Fatima or Lourdes. Okay, um, and mainly because the church has said, you know, yes, you can. In good conscience, you can believe that this actually happened. Um, but it's not just like watching a fireworks display where you're like kind of in awe and you're kind of like, oh, or, or a beautiful sunset. If, if it's happening and it's true, that means God made it happen. OK, and it's for a reason. So where I was going with this is um, a miracle could be a game changer for 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 people. Uh, you mentioned a couple already. OK, um, and uh, I would like to know maybe some some more popular uh, conversions that resulted from from a miracle or the idea of conversion itself that God is doing these things so maybe people open their eyes from the from the most died in the wool atheist to someone who's got faith but it's kind of like very you know lackluster or not 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 kind of like motivated in the faith uh talk about that talk about the meaning of the miracle itself why is God doing these things yeah I, on a related note, some people have asked me in, in my life, why are you doing this? Why, why, are you, why are you pursuing miracles the way that you do? Why do you talk so much about miracles? Why do you write books and make, you know, do radio and TV and pilgrimages? Why do you do that? It's probably for one simple reason. I want people to just have that question mark and say, what if? What if this is real? What if I need to learn more about it? Uh, I just want to crack open the door to faith, to belief, you know, because I think miracles are not essential for our faith, as we've talked about. But if any of these things make people say, wait a minute, is that real? Wait a minute. Can that possibly be true? That's the role I want to play. I just want to crack people's minds open a little bit to the possibility that these things are really happening. When I uh, worked with National Geographic on the uh, December 2015 issue of, of National Geographic, Mary, the most powerful woman in the world, my favorite part is they did a full two-page uh, map spread of all the Marian apparitions uh, since the 1500s. And there are dots all over that map, things that have been approved, condemned, considered, in process, apparitions to saints. There are so many dots all around the world on that map. And I encourage people to find that. You can find it online. But if only a fraction of those are true, then we're really dealing with something, aren't we? So the idea is open people's eyes up to the possibility of these things and make them consider it for their own lives of faith. Because I think that uh, that's the whole point when the church says, worthy of belief in the supernatural character of the event. That's the whole point, that you don't have to believe in it, but they've investigated it so rigorously that they say, you know what? It's worth your belief in that thing if you want to. So uh, that's kind of my goal in all of this stuff is to say that, you know, I've studied these things. I believe they're real. I want you to open your eyes up and say, what if? So that's that's what it's all about. And and But here's the thing, Michael O'Neill. Uh, I, I promise we won't get you in too much trouble here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, I have conversations. I don't shy away from conversations, personal conversations with those who are skeptical of the faith in general, not just miracles, okay? Um, I have a dear friend of mine. He's a lapsed Catholic, born Catholic. He's an atheist, okay? And it's all about they're in awe of science, okay? I get it. All right. It's like there, there's a there's a, a Facebook page. It's I think it's I F in love science. OK, I, I, obviously, I'm not going to be crude here. Um, and they're in awe of that. They look at, let's say, for argument's sake, things that go on in the universe that we could discover. And they say, wow, that's so great. OK. And then I try to say, OK, 
why don't you go and look at, let's say, for argument's sake, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Don't, don't, not, not the religious aspect of it. Just go look at the science of it. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. I don't have to do that. It's kind of like brushed off. It's like, well, wait a minute, dude. You're in awe of all these things that occur in nature, but here's here's something that actually occurred. No human hand did this, and science, science could prove that, okay? And it seems like it falls on deaf ears, you know, many, many times, but yet not so much. Some Like some of the people, let's say, at Fatima, were stone-cold atheist journalists, you know, uh, out there in the mud up, up to their knees and everything else, and all of a sudden the, the ground was dry, Okay, after the miracle of the sun, and there were conversions. Okay, am I being too harsh? I guess is my question. Is like because I don't think people are honest. My my comment here, Michael, is about honesty. Okay, if you're honest, you have to agree that there's something going on here. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I think there's a very simple explanation to this, and it's you know we we like to say can't all the people who are excited about science just open their eyes to the science of miracles? And that's why I wrote the book, Science and the Miraculous, to show the way the Catholic Church uses science to investigate. Um, but the very simple answer is people are afraid to do it. Because if it is true, that means they have to change their life completely. They have to sign up to become Catholic if these Catholic miracles are real. And people aren't ready to do that. And we also can talk about why don't more Protestants get excited about Catholic miracles? So we talk about healing miracles. I was on Dr. Oz at one point talking about healing miracles with the, the Protestant pastor and, and the other people there. Everybody's excited about healing miracles. But when you start talking about the other stuff, visions of Mary, weeping statues of Mary, the stigmata of the saints, Eucharistic miracles, if any of that stuff is real, you got to sign up to be Catholic, and not everybody's ready to do that. So uh, people are on a faith journey. We hope people get there, but uh, that, to me, that's the, the reason for the stumbling block on that. You well, hit it right on the head. Yeah, I was, I was going <laughs> to say, uh, the, the, and I know I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but, uh, but I was going to say that you know our problems, I mean, when we're trying, when I say problem, I don't mean it that way, but like obviously we try to do what we could do. We all have our roles to play. As St. Paul said, you're this and you're that, but the goal is always to try to evangelize somebody. That's the other thing. I know I pick on atheists, but Protestants need to open their eyes too. In other words, they have to acknowledge that, like you know, they, 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 you know, like you said, Michael O'Neill, you know, they'll acknowledge some miracles. All right, but you know, what about the evidence of that? And right away, right away, because they might have to again be honest with themselves that there's something going on there. And yeah, it involves Mary. And I know that that's, that's a turnoff for, you know, that's mm -hmm. a turnoff for a lot of Protestants for most Protestants, not all for most Protestants that they're not, they're not crossing that bridge. Um, you know, there's an obstinacy there. And that's why I mentioned honesty, both on the parts of the, let's say the non-believers, but those who identify as Christian. Okay. Um, these miracles, you know, you ought to look at also that, that that was, you know, my larger point. So I just wanted to make it clear. I'm not just picking on the, the, the atheists out there. If you're just joining us, um, we're with Michael O'Neill here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing his travel series, EWTN travel series, explore with the miracle hunter that goes on Saturday night, six o'clock Eastern time on EWTN. We encourage you all to please check it out. Joe Resinello. Michael, I think it's important to note you're a scientist. I mean, you're an engineer. You study data. Um, and, you know, sometimes people think, you know, just because we're on Catholic radio, myself, Joe, you, that that's the only type of people we hang out with. I'm sure you have all types of friends. You went to school with all types of people. I'm sure you're still in contact with many of them. They probably know what you do. Um, 
what do they say? I mean, they're engineers too. You know what I mean? Like you guys could speak the same language. You could, you know, you read the same books, you know, and here you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I think sometimes people like poo poo a miracle. They think it's always like the ignorant person or, you know, uh, but that's not the case. You know, like here you are, you're a scientist. You read the same book as the guy who's uh, working at Microsoft or, or Google. Um, what do they say when you have, I'm sure you have those conversations with them. Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, Stanford Magazine actually did a feature on me a couple of years ago. And uh, a lot of people who didn't know what I was doing, old friends who I'd perhaps lost touch with, you know, they said, whoa, what are you doing? You know, they, they had known me as uh, somebody who studied engineering and had uh, jobs in the engineering field. And so they, you know, it really opened their eyes up to that I was uh, doing something unique and interesting. Uh, but thankfully, you know, uh, most people, most of my friends who were were uh, were learning about what I was was taking on, they they were kind of uh, you know their eyes open to what I was doing, so they were excited about it. But there have been others who have said, you know, you've gone on a weird path in your life, uh, you know, this, and they find it incompatible. But uh, of course, as we talk about and you talk about in your show, that faith and science are not incompatible; they all lead to the one Creator. So, uh, you know, I think that. It's important to, to talk about science when you talk about uh, matters of faith and miracles. Yeah, I, I again, in my in my journey, in my um, conversations with people, um, you'd be surprised how many people just just pull out the same old tired lines about uh, science and religion are opposed to each other. And I have to step back sometimes in a kind and loving way, okay, um, which I'm not always capable of, um, but to say, dude, listen. Um, I, we've heard that now for a, a number of years. That's been completely debunked. You need to go and read a new book now, okay? Because science and, and faith are not opposed to each other. And I have to remind people, okay, you believe in science and only science, okay? The Catholic Church gave Western civilization <laughs> the scientific method. And they can't, I'm sorry, Michael, I'm not being, I'm not being uncharitable here. They cannot process that. Well, yeah, but no, 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 there's no yeah, but. The Catholic Church developed, introduced, and developed the scientific method. And then you have to start naming names for these people. And their minds are, are, are just on that very simple fact. It's like they cannot process that. And I don't understand it because all I'm doing is giving them a fact. Okay. Um, and I mean, where's the stumbling block, do you think, Michael O'Neill? Yeah, and, and I wrote, and as you know, we've talked about it on a past episode. I wrote this book called Science and the Miraculous. And I was so obsessed with this idea that people say it's incompatible and that the church is anti-science, but you hit the nail on the head and the book does this as well is that the church has been the great patron of science and the great developer of science over the ages. And some of these great, big, great names, the uh, founder of the big bang theory uh, or Gregor Mendel, the founder of genetics. These are Catholic priests who, uh, who uh, led to these things. So it's absolutely amazing to see the role that the Catholic church has taken and still has a role in, in science, especially when we look at miracles and how science is applied to those. But, um, you know, there's a big stumbling block. People want to go with this narrative. Uh, they, you know, they, they're hooked on Galileo or whatever kind of old, uh, old commentary they want to go on. But, you know, you have the Pope Francis himself talking about evolution, for example. And of course, they would assume that uh, the Pope would never comment on such a thing in even a positive light. So um, people just, uh, they're in the dark ages in their own mind. They're not willing to advance uh, to the reality of things. Right. I mean, and it really does kind of, it, 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 
it brings out an eye roll in me when I hear the same thing. Like if you, if someone is arguing against the Catholic church and against the Catholic faith, it's always the same three things. And Michael O'Neill, it becomes very annoying when it's, it's always, yeah, inquisitions, the, the inquisition, the crusades and Galileo. And, and, and I, and I, I just, I, I've learned I just have to walk away. <laughs> I, I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Um, especially since that I said to an atheist recently, I said, okay, but what about Copernicus? I said, he wasn't burned at the stake. I, and, and, and again, not being able to process that, then they just walk away. I said, well, come on, you know, the Catholic Church is against science. Well, what, well, Copernicus was not burned at the stake and he was doing the same thing as Galileo. Anyway, that's my little rant. Joe Resinello, we have a few minutes left. Well, obviously, you know, we're talking about big miracles. We talked about Lourdes. We talked about Guadalupe. We talked about the miracle in Belgium. How about the miracle at the Mass? I mean, ultimately, there's a miracle that takes place. Every single Mass all over the world that God is fully present. That's a miracle. And, you know, I'll be truthful with you. I believe that. You know, sadly, I think we got to work on that in, in our country. 70% as per pew do not. I think we have to work on that. And that begins with me by being holy or trying and inspiring to be holy and loving people. Um, with that said, though, since that's a miracle, and it is, I think we lose focus, at least I do, that God could do anything. And he has in history. He has, as Joe mentioned in Mexico, the great conversion of millions of people. God could do anything. And, you know, I follow social media and I listen to things in the Catholic circles. And sometimes, including myself, I I'm not excluding myself from this. We lose sight of that. God could do anything. He rose from the dead. You know, we are an Easter people. And talk about that, because I, I think it's easy to lose sight. You know, it's right in front of us. And yes, you know, we, we receive him. But do we believe that? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, we don't talk about it enough. Or even like, I don't think about it enough. Yeah, it, it is. It is truly the most difficult belief in our Catholic Catholic faith. And uh, you're right, those Pew uh, research studies show that 30% of people, um, that 30% of Catholics are, um, they, they struggle with that, that they don't believe. And I've been getting invited to speak at a lot of parishes uh, this year and next year and the following year because of the Eucharistic revival. That's something that the U.S. bishops are taking on themselves to uh, get the word out, get uh, increased faith in the Eucharist. And I've been speaking uh, to parishes about Eucharistic miracles. And the Eucharistic, the Eucharist is unfortunately easy for people to ignore because it looks like bread, it tastes like bread, it smells like bread, it formerly was bread. So people are, are cannot make that mental leap and are unwilling to make the mental leap. But when I give these presentations, I talk about these cases of true flesh and true blood being made manifest on a Eucharistic host hundreds of times throughout Christian history. And these are all blood type AB, the case in Mexico and the type, the case in Poland, the case in Italy, they're all blood type AB, which is the blood type of the Shroud of Turin. So for people who are obsessed with, uh, with science and they, they, they find these to be cardiac muscle, striated, meaning that it's tortured heart muscle. These have been validated by science. And I think it's absolutely amazing uh, to, to point that out to people. And most people are blown away. I spoke in front of uh, some uh, CCD students, seventh and eighth grade students recently. And, you know, they, these are a bunch of punky kids who are on their cell phones, 
talking and shouting. But when I started talking about the science behind Eucharistic miracles, they all, you could hear a pin drop. They were all mesmerized by it. And they asked about 20 or 25 questions afterwards because they had never heard anything like it. You could see faith rising in them when we talk about Eucharistic miracles. Again, the Eucharist is a miracle in and of itself on Catholic altars all around the world each and every day. That is the biggest miracle we've got. But the miracle on top of a miracle, the Eucharistic miracle that science has validated has been a big thing for people. And for people who are Bible scholars, who want to be Bible scholars, Protestants who don't believe in the real presence, you got to study John 6 in the Bible. Jesus is, of course, asserting that it is truly his flesh and truly his blood and that we must uh, consume his flesh and consume his blood for eternal life. So uh, people need to check out John 6 in the Bible. It'll blow people away. Uh, people ignore that. But to me, I think that's one of the most important passages in the entire Bible and reaffirms the reality of the true presence. So uh, that's my little spiel. But, uh, but people have been inviting me to speak at their parishes about this because of Eucharistic miracles are so important uh, for our understanding of the Eucharistic revival. Thank you very much for that. Michael O'Neill, what do you got coming up? What do you, uh, what do you got going on? So uh, the big thing for me is the new pilgrimage that I'll be leading to uh, in April to Poland and Lithuania. People can go to pilgrimages.com slash miracle hunter. And we've still got a couple spots left. And I always take my EWTN film crew with me. So we'll be filming uh, these sites. And it's absolutely amazing to actually visit these sites and then have them captured on film afterwards. So you can, uh, you can see these experiences again and again on EWTN. So I encourage people to sign up pilgrimages.com slash miracle hunter. And of course, we've got uh, the radio show every week and explore with the miracle hunter every week on Saturdays at 6pm Eastern time. So I encourage people to check that stuff out. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming back on the show, Michael O'Neill. This was a great conversation. We had a lot of fun. We'll talk to you thank soon, brother. Thank you, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Download the app so that you can have access to all of our station's content and share it with your friends. And if you like Joe and I and what we do, our social media, YouTube, The Frontline with Joe and Joe, The Frontline with Joe and Joe, and Twitter, at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.